Welcome to the Modern Merriman Podcast with Tom Hicks and Don DeVito. Modern Merriman is a podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian lay people will rightly divide the word of truth. Tom, it's good to see you again, man. It's great to be back this week, brother. And uh, this week, once more, we have Rich Barcellus, who we continuing to interview about the Covenant Works. But why don't you uh, introduce him for those who didn't hear our last episode? Sure thing. We have with us uh, Dr. Richard Barcellus, who's a pastor of Grace Reform Baptist Church in Palmdale, California. Uh, he's the author of a number of works, some of which include Getting the Garden of Right, Trinity and Creation, In Defense of the Decalogue, uh, the Family Tree of Reformed Biblical Theology, and the Lord's Supper as a Means of Grace. Uh, Rich, it's great to have you with us, brother. Thanks for having me on, guys. Sure thing. Just to get us started this time, uh, can, we're considering the covenant of works. And uh, my first question for you has to do with those who object to it. One of the major objections is that the word covenant is not found in the opening chapters of Genesis. And then there are those who would argue that, therefore, there's no covenant there. Uh, how would you answer those who say there's no covenant of works because the word covenant is not used in Genesis 2 and 3? Uh, that is really a good often asked question, uh, isn't it? This, this question or this argument that since a word is not there, the doctrine's absent from the text, it used to convince me. You know, the word mm -hmm. uh, covenant is not in the Bible until Genesis chapter 6. I don't know wh where the word works first comes into Scripture, but I know it's not in Genesis 2, uh, the word works. So, but we have to kind of look at the question. How would you answer those who say there is no covenant of works because the word covenant is never used there? So something's presupposed, I think, in the question that we ought to analyze carefully first. Uh, I, I think this question presupposes for a doctrine to be present or hinted at at least in a text, the words we use to describe the doctrine must be there. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. and I think I said this last week, I know I did, obviously that does not work with the terms like Trinity and Christology and a whole host of other common theological terms that those who both either affirm or deny the covenant of works use commonly together. So here, here's one way I would answer it. First of all, a doctrine may be present in a passage by virtue of the concepts embodied by the term we use to identify it. Ah. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. A doctrine may be present in a passage by virtue of the concepts embodied by the term we use to identify it. For instance, I think there is a scriptural doctrine, a scriptural teaching that Adam, by virtue of being created, was the first created son of God. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys believe Adam was the first created son of God? Yeah, I think Luke says that explicitly. Like if you go to the New Testament, it says Adam, the son of God. Isn't that yeah. right? <laughs> That's right. And what's interesting is in a genealogy. Right. There's theology in genealogy. Mm -hmm. And 
do we do we we nobody says well adam became uh the first created son of god when luke penned luke 3 right i, I hope nobody says that yeah but the language son of god is not in genesis 1 or 2 mm -hmm. at least not explicitly now is the doctrine at least implicitly contained by virtue of the fact that Adam's a creature created in the image of God? I think the answer is yes. Amen. So how about I, I think this? Let me, let me ask you a question. Is it true that in Adam all died? That's what Paul says in Romans 5. Um. First Corinthians fifteen twenty two, but oh, he said yeah. basically <laughs> the same. But wait a minute. So you're saying that Paul can write something using different language than Moses used, but it doesn't change anything that Moses said. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I would say. Yes. Huh, that's interesting. Can I ask you guys another question? Bring it, brother. Was Adam a type of Christ? Now that is in Romans 5. <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You got it. You're learning. <laughs> you see, all these things, son of God, in Adam all died, type of him who was to come. Um, the answer uh to the question of are these things true is obviously yes because god tells us but we need to go farther god is free to tell us the theology embedded in narratives like genesis 1 and 2 whenever he wants mm -hmm. um narratives and other uh genres of scripture are pregnant with theological meaning the explicit meaning sometimes awaits subsequent words from God. I would say the same thing about the covenant of works or whatever language you want to use. Um, covenant of friendship, uh, covenant of life, covenant of obedience or whatever. When we read scripture, God tells us that that thing we call a covenant of works was enacted by the creator and brought Adam into a new relationship with his creator, depending upon his obedience. Amen. Hmm. You know, I've also thought, Sue, you think of this, but the word marriage is never used in Genesis 2. And yet there we have a, a marriage covenant. It's never used. The, the word marriage is not used. And in Genesis 3, we have the fall of man. The word sin is never used. Or we, you know, we therefore say that Adam did not sin. So it's the, I've heard it says a word thing fallacy, you know, that you have to, to have the thing there, the word must be present, but that's not true. The thing can right. be present without the word. Right. And, and what we're doing, what, what we're doing here is we're, we're reducing the assumption of the question to absurdity, but not just through, uh, you know, our reason apart from scripture, we're using reason, uh, but we're using scripture as our ultimate authority to show other examples where the very thing that is denied in this question is actually affirmed by scripture. Namely, doctrines can be present 
without being explicitly called certain things. And then later revelation can fill in the gaps for us and give us the, you know, maybe the better terms and words to use to describe what's going on there. Well, and of course, you've mentioned before, uh, I, I know, uh, the, the, you know, who, who is the serpent, right? Uh, of course, we all recognize the serpent there is Satan, but Satan is not mentioned uh, there in, yeah, in the one. opening ones. And, and yet, of course, we know he's the serpent because of later revelation in, in, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, and so just another example yeah. of this concept. Yeah. You know, uh, John, uh, I don't know if John remembers. He's getting old. He, his memories, you know, he's losing his memory. But I have said this to students before. How do I know that Adam was the first created son of God? Here's my answer. God told me. You know, students Amen. sometimes go, what? we're not that kind of school. God doesn't tell us things. <laughs> no, God through Luke and Luke 338. You know, the same thing with Adam as a type of Christ. God told me in Adam all died. God told me who is the serpent. That enemy of God's people called later called Satan, the devil. God told me. So again, we're back to hermeneutics here. Mm -hmm. And the way we formulate Christian doctrine, theological method. Those are very important issues. Sure. So then what would you say to those who claim that the covenant of works is a Pelagian arrangement since Adam was supposed to earn his standing before God? Uh, read my books. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, uh, Here's what's interesting. Adam was not a sinner when the covenant was enacted upon him. Okay. Adam had a creational, we could say a creational standing with God by virtue of being made in his image. He owed God obedience as his creator. But God is free to require of Adam whatever he wills, subsequent at his creation or subsequent to his creation. If God wills, that Adam attain, in the language of our confession, the reward of life by way of complying with a covenant imposed upon him, so be it. Now, Pelagianism, in its strong sense, assumes that after the fall, man is in the same state Adam was in upon his creation. Now, you know, I don't want to argue the case, but I'll just state it. This is simply not the case. Uh, we are in obviously a different state than Adam was in. But if God wills to uh, require of Adam obedience unto the reward of life, God is free to do that. It's fine. You know, God would have an image bearer who represents others bring others to glory. It's fine if God. That, that's God's will, and that is God's will, by the way, because the last Adam brings many sons to glory. So I would disagree with that. Sure. Well, kind of related you know, to that. John, uh, related ahead. to that, people say, you know, Adam had to merit. Adam had to right. merit. Adam merited. Adam could have merited eternal life. Well, okay, if you want to use the word. I realize it's a debated word and all that stuff. Um, but I don't 
personally, I don't have a problem with it. If you understand it in the context of 7-1 of our confession, uh, that the covenant God enacted upon Adam unto this reward of life was a free and sovereign uh, willingness God's part to do an extra creational thing for image bearer, offer him life. So sometimes with this uh, question about whether Adam could have earned his standing before God uh, comes the question, uh, if Adam had successfully obeyed the covenant of works, would he have been able to boast of achieving his glory? And so there, you know, the, the question is, um, if if Adam could have obeyed it perfectly, does he have some sort of uh, ground on which to exalt himself before God? I did this. My works achieved this. How would you answer someone who would reject the covenant of works on the basis of a concern like that? Yeah. Um, well, my short answer of, is, of course not. He couldn't boast. Just as he couldn't boast about existence in his created state he couldn't have boast about existence in a supra created state or a glorious state um, if you do what you owe if you do what you ought to do all you can say is you know Luke 17 10 and the confession cites this text we have only we have done only that which we ought to have done Adam ought to have done what God said uh, God added the promise of the reward of life to obedience via covenant, a covenant freely enacted on Adam by God, boasting then that the Lord made Adam then voluntarily or freely condescended by way of revealing a covenant to Adam in which he could attain the reward of life would have been uh, uh, appropriate, um, I suppose. But boasting in the Lord, not in myself, Adam's self-achievement. Um, that's always, I think that's always wrong. We're creatures. What do we have that we haven't been given? Um, mm. there, there's, no, there's no ground for boasting when you're a creature, except well, boasting Adam, in the Lord. So had he perfectly obeyed, just hypothetically, had he perfectly obeyed and uh, obtained the promise of life, would you say that he then would have given thanks? It would have been a spirit of gratitude of God boasting in the Lord and thankfulness. Uh, yes. But if he boasted in himself, there would have been a second fall, huh? <laughs> That's right. That would be a sin. Pride. So would you, would you then say that the covenant of works is a gracious arrangement? Uh, would you use that kind of language regarding the covenant of works and, and wh why or why not? John, why do you ask the controversial questions? It's our job, man. So we're that's what we're here for. No, John is the one. John is the guilty. <laughs> it's just one. John. It's John alone. <laughs> right. Yes. That that is that's a good question. Uh I tend not to use the term to describe the covenant of works. I realize, you know, some re reformed theologians, even in the 17th century, did, and some contemporary ones do. And I would say that the reasons I don't use that term are at least uh two or three here, the, uh, the Bible doesn't use that term or synonyms of that term to describe the covenant of works, uh, nor is the concept of grace as we typically understand it. It's a post-fall category. Right. Um, the concept 
of, of grace as we typically understand it is not necessary to describe the covenant of works. Uh, so there's a, you know, I could say there's a category error going on there. And some people do. I, I just don't get in big into the debate, you know. Um, I'm a pastor primarily. So but secondly, I'd say there's a tendency. This is very important, I think, and you guys are going to agree with this, I, I hope. There's a tendency to confuse law and gospel when everything becomes grace. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think the law-gospel distinction is, in one sense, grounded in, at least part of it, in the covenant works. And also, my, my, confession of, my confession of faith does not identify the covenant of works under the category uh, of, of grace. It's uh, primarily an act of divine providence, and it is prelapsarian. So having said that, the covenant works was an act of divine kindness toward his God's newly made image-bearing creature. I could say that without problems. But I don't make a big deal of it when someone wants to call this a gracious act of God. If they mean by that an act of God toward Adam, not earned by Adam. Adam didn't earn this, this stipulation by God that if you, if you obey, uh, the reward will be you know eschatological life. So good question, right. John. Even though it's controversial. There's nothing in Adam that led God to enter into this covenant with him, right? It's in that sense, it's free. It's it, it it's voluntary. It's the the will of God. But but uh, there can be problems in in thinking in terms of of grace here. I had a question, just how you think of this, Rich, just to clarify for anyone listening. But had Adam obeyed? would you say that it was God it would have been God's work in him giving him the power the gifts uh, in order to obey so ha so all of Adam's anything good in Adam was worked in Adam by a sovereign God by means of his providence uh, and I think some people are are thinking that way that they're Calvinistic they believe in a comprehensive decree and a meticulous providence and they would want to affirm that anything Adam did uh, was worked in him by God. How would you respond to that? I think some people, that's what they're trying to hold on to when they think of uh, that it was a gracious arrangement. They want to avoid that, you know, that there was some Arminianism that was true there at the beginning where uh, Adam could have acted and chosen to obey God apart from God's providential work within him and thus is independent of God or something like that. So how would you interact with that kind of concern? Yeah, it's a good question. Good concern. Um, um, there's there's too much in my mind to for this uh, question to be answered sufficiently. But let me say this: Adam, as created, was created in a state, and this is the state in which the covenant of works was revealed to him, a state in which he could, by virtue of his own volition, bring upon himself a divine act of God that would change his state of existence. He went from righteous and holy to unrighteous and unholy. Um, so uh, if we make a distinction between Adam's pre-lapsarian and post-lapsarian state, which I think we, we must, we have to say that God furnished Adam with what he needed to 
comply with the covenant of works and mysteriously Adam rebelled against that. Now, there's another issue here, Tom. I don't know if you've read John Owen on this, but when God <laughs> formed Adam from the dust of the earth, then he breathed in him the breath of life. Have you ever read John Owen on prelapsarian Adam and pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? I haven't. Where, where is that in John Owen? Do you recall the work? One of them. Uh, one of them. Yeah. I think I think it's actually volume three. Um, okay. After the show, if you you know, I think I can give you the, the exact place. But but Owen is not the only one who says this. That there was there was a sense in which Adam uh, Adam had this unique endowment of the Spirit of God uh, upon his creation, and that that was lost. By virtue of his sin. Now it's weird for us as Calvinists because we're going, Adam lost his salvation. No, he saved. He was in a different state, human, uh, a different state or condition of hu human nature prior to the fall into sin. It might be weird for us, but I think we have to uh, throw the Calvinist Arminian, you know, thing off of our, out of our vocabulary, and just say Adam was created in a state in which he could better himself or worse himself to use horrible English. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot there. And uh, may, uh, if, if we can indulge Rich, have one more episode to, to go a little further with this. Uh, but uh, thank you, Rich, for joining us and uh, Tom for being with us. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Modern Merriman podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to know more about CBTS, please visit us online at cbtseminary.org. That's cbtseminary.org. Uh, and anything else, uh, Rich, to the, that you, you want us to keep in mind before this starts, man? Um, well, I'm sitting in my study. The window's open. There's no wind. Oh, some white clouds out there. I see the foothill mountains a couple miles from my house. It's, it's rough weather. <laughs> well, you know, given you can't leave your house in the uh, People's <laughs> Republic of California, right. um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll take a little bad weather. <laughs> I go wherever. Bad weather with less tyranny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All I right. Well, 